Is this is going to be more of an open mic so that everybody has a chance to say whatever they want to say and ask whatever questions that they want. And so the the topic will kind of meander around. But Drevu uh, uh, gave us a kind of a thread by talking about traveling and the fact that he is traveling light, or at least he traveled light to get to New Zealand. And when he's traveling back to uh, to UK, he's going to be carrying more baggage. A little bit more. <laughs> Not too much. Not too much. All right. That's, that's good. Uh, <laughs> what we do as children is we begin to pick up things just because we're learning. We absorb material, and so we just kind of pick up things. What happens is, is that with memory, um, that we co- begin to collect that as baggage. And one of the things that we, by instinct, naturally do is, is that we are more likely to pick up negative baggage than we are to pick up positive baggage. In other words, uh, out traveling, we tend to take the work with us rather than taking pleasure with us. And here's how that happened. If the little child is drawing and having a whole lot of fun drawing and mom says that that's nice drawing, then it goes nowhere and it may not register very much. But if he is actually drawing on the wall, and mom comes in and sees him drawing on the wall, she may, in fact, um, out of the socializations that she already has, become upset because now she's thinking about landlords and paint jobs and um, uh, uh, property destruction and all of that kind of stuff where the child was just enjoying his art. Yeah. So now mom's going to fuss at him from drawing on the wall. And that's going to then be the memory that he has. He may not remember anything else that happened that whole day, but he will remember that time when his mom fussed at him about drawing on the wall. Mm-hmm. So this is how that is picked up, and it's picked up instinctually, and it's picked up instinctually in the sense of preservation. Yeah. That every young child knows, <laughs> every one of us knows that some things we do is dangerous, and if we continue to do that, we continue to create dangers. Therefore, in order to remain safe, Mm -hmm. we remember those dangers. Right. Except that the likelihood of you being an adult writing on the wall is very, very low now, but you still remember that time when you were writing on the wall Mm-hmm. And you do so, and when you have that memory, it gives a little bit of pain. That, in fact, just the flash of nothing but just a tenth of a second of just one image flashing in the mind of that line of that uh, art on the wall is enough to cause one to feel bad. When, in fact, there was no real reason to feel bad. It was mom's behavior that made him feel bad, not the drawing, but they were associated. And would you say that evolutionarily, um, as a species, we have learned to prioritize self-preservation more than anything? But our, our social structure has changed so much that those threats are not anymore, you know, life-threatening. Most of the threats that we now encounter are symbolic, right? Maybe exactly. a loss of job. But, yeah, and we have probably 
gone too far into you know protecting ourselves but we don't realize that it's time that we are we um you know take opportunity of the protection that we have like we don't need to be scared when we go out on the road for most of us i would say you just made an extremely important point and that is is that the our self-preservation mechanism that mm-hmm. actually has a whole lot to do with a very localized area of the brain that's called the amygdala. You probably mm-hmm. already know about this, okay? Mm-hmm. And this 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 um, propensity of self-preservation to try to prepare, to save or pre- uh, protect is actually the guys who labeled it in the first place mislabeled it. It's not a self-protection organism or mechanism. It's an organism protection mechanism. Ah, uh, yeah. To uh, to instinctually protect the organism, but mm-hmm. he had already made the mistake and called it the self-preservation instinct, and so naturally every one of us falls right into that trap because, in fact, that's what's happening. Is originally it was a self, it was a organism protection mechanism, but because it's gotten symbolic. Yes. In reality, it's yeah. also gotten symbolic that it's not the organism we're trying to protect anymore. It's the self. Yeah, the identity most, it's you the know. the identification uh, of who I am that we're trying to protect. It's yeah. our de- identity that we're trying to protect, mm-hmm. not the actual organism. But we start with that because the little child is actually operating correctly with his instincts because he actually is in danger of his mommy giving him a spanking. (laughs) Yeah. But symbolically, when he grows up and thinks about that wall drawing, it's no longer a self, it's a organism protection mechanism. It becomes a self-protection mechanism because Mm -hmm. we're trying to protect something symbolic. That's why it becomes symbolic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's the amazing part, because the symbols come and go, mm-hmm. but the organism remains. Over time, it makes a whole lot of changes so that it's not the same organism. That in fact, you've heard things like this. This is something that all little Buddhist boys and girls should hear. And that is, is that every cell of your body that you had seven years ago is no mm-hmm. longer there. Not one cell. Every one of them, the neurons, the the stem cells, the stomach cells, everything changes. But more than that is is that every water molecule that Mm -hmm. is in your body seven years ago is gone. There's nothing physical about us that was there seven years ago. So why seven years? What is this... uh... Well, that's just kind of an average that, in fact, there's a lot of things. One of the things that you can say is, is that on an in-breath, you have quite a lot of, uh, in your physical environment of who you are, it's just air. And mm-hmm. then when you breathe out, that air is gone. And it's mm-hmm. not you, never was you. But it is so intricately a part of you that without that air, you would die. Yeah, that we don't realize how intricately connected deeply at a physical level that we are. And because of that deep physical level, the boundaries get loose. And because the boundaries get loose, things keep moving back and forth. 
and the boundary is actually kind of artificial. Yeah. Where this that is boundary like, is, where does your skin end and where the air begins, you think you know that, but if you start looking at it closely, you can recognize, wait a minute, there's kind of, um, how to say it, a, uh, an intermediate zone, mm -hmm. a gray area, uh, like when two countries separate, like North and South Korea, they put in a no man's land. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a kind of surface area on your skin that at one level is absolutely you. At another level, it's absolutely not you. It's absolutely air. But where is the boundary? And is that a hard boundary or is it a very soft boundary? Mm -hmm. The and answer this is, is it depends upon the power of your microscope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can see the same thing happening in the brain as well. So uh, the 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 previous idea was like a p particular organ was responsible for an emotion or a particular cognitive function. It's now becoming more clear that those structural boundaries are very flexible. So mm -hmm. it's more uh, about tiny units within a so-called structure that performs distinct function from others. So the boundaries kind of dissolve, right? In that sense, we can argue that how a particular unit um, fires and you know connects with other parts it's really um, a whole different neuron in a, every moment so yeah definitely. precisely and they connect it to at a level that they call synapses mm -hmm. but one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is is that a nerve yeah. can have ganglia that go to a number of synapses mm -hmm. We kind of think that a nerve is like a, uh, it has one end at one end and the other at the other end, and it just communicates from this end and then communicates at that end, and they're all that's all there is to it. Many yeah. of the nerves will have more than 50 connections. Mm -hmm. and what does that mean? That means it comes in here and it may go off into all kinds of different directions. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is why the number of connections in the human brain, the number of synapses, is greater than the number of stars in the universe. Yes. That's amazing, but it happened if you if you understand um, uh, factorials in mathematics, mm -hmm. you can see where that number gets so large is because yeah. every neuron is multiply connected. Right. And we and can hack those neuron uh, neuronal firings because it operates on a basis of repetition. So the behaviors that are re repeated, those connections in our brain get strengthened. So the, the whole idea of diverting our mind into positive direction, cultivating um, deliberation, all of those, if we, with repetition, we can sustain those firings and then it becomes our default. Right. So exactly. So that's beautiful way of saying it. That in fact, this right? is why we call it in in uh, going from uh, neuroscience that we're talking about now back into Dhamma practice. Dhamma, yeah. That's why we want to do it over and over and over again. Is because that gets uh, that repetition begins to build up. Mm -hmm. And if we stop doing something that we used to do, it rots away. I've yeah. got many, many evidences of that, and one of them was is that one of my students just sent us um, a, a very technical piece. It's called Claire de Lune by uh, Debussy, 
and that um, I uh, didn't answer back to him. But I remember when I was in high school, I learned to play that piece. I, I can see. sing right along with it now, but put me in front of a keyboard and say, play Claire, can't do it. <laughs> that neuron is gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, beauty of, you know, having a skill development approach. So I've often seen people perceive different qualities like, say, resilience or mm -hmm. compassion as something we have. And I think that's kind of limiting because then we are again operating on either or, right? So we either have that quality or we don't. But if we approach it as a skill, then we can utilize repetition and learn to um, have those skills. And that is very synonymous to freedom, right? You have the freedom to choose who you want to be. Every moment. And if we yeah. keep choosing freedom or if we keep choosing the wholesome over and over and over again, it mm -hmm. soon over a period of time becomes the default. Yeah. Right. Rather Absolutely. than the default, which is the default that we build up as a child. Which yeah. is basically uh, self based in the self-preservation. What we mm -hmm. learned was how to survive. Yeah. Well, guess what? Survival is no longer the issue. <laughs> In fact, it may never have been the issue. Yeah. But little children, we make that mistake. We think that everything is a survival issue. Yeah. In that regard, what we're talking about is the quality of importance. Mm -hmm. When we think something is important, then it's much more likely to cause bad feelings for whatever situation that it's in. But when yeah. things become kind of ordinary, then whatever state that ordinary thing is in, we tend not to feel so bad. Because you see, if it's important, the more important it is, the closer to me it is, because when it's important, it's important to me. Yeah. It's important to the identification of who I am. In fact, the organism may be fine without whatever we thought was important. Mm-hmm. I think we can make a further distinction between importance and attachment, because if we take uh, any rational decision, we can ask the question that what is important to me right now? But it can be a very task based uh, approach, right? But attachment is when we have those automatic feelings and, um, you know, um, all of those attentional biases and we kind of get swayed by those feelings and our decisions get colored. Um, so, yeah, I would say that is more of attachment, but importance, I think we can use in a more productive way. What do you mm -hmm. think? Well, oh, the likelihood of us becoming attached to something mm -hmm. is because we see its importance. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that you're also mentioning the distinction between what is actually important and what is perceived to be important and mm -hmm. what is perceived to be important is based upon old dangers and whatnot to where yeah. actual importance is based upon wisdom mm -hmm. in other words this is basically what we're talking about the whole process here is to come out of our instinctual uh living which sees uh, things important in an instinctual way Mm -hmm. and and detach ourselves from that so that now we can really take a look 
and develop the skill of wisdom. The skill of wisdom will then point out that because of this, that, and the other thing, this becomes important. Um, I'll give you an example of that because there's very few things in my life that are important. <laughs> very few things, but there are a few things that are important. Here's one of them, and that is uh, Thai immigration <laughs> and getting my visas. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, getting the uh, the 90 day check in and the address thing uh, done. So we actually have to go five times a year. Mm -hmm. Once the really, really big one, which is to get the visa renewed. And there's a whole lot of paperwork that needs to be done with that, including they want a copy of every page of your passport. They want a copy of every page of your passbook. They want a letter from the bank with all the stamps and signatures saying that this money has been in this account for so long. And we guarantee yeah. that. OK, so oh, banks, wow. bank statements, you, yeah. letters from uh, all over the place. Now, here's the point. I can either do all of that work for the visa and hate it. Or I could do it as a toy and adventure. And in fact, uh, the way that I approach it is, can I do the visa yet one, once again without ever going to bad feelings at any particular point in time? That's kind of like the game I play or the toy that I have. I've turned immigration into a toy to play with mm -hmm. rather than something that's important. Yeah. But I play with the toy because it's important to play with the toy, but that's the only point now. That's why it's important is because it's a new toy to play with and I have to play with it on a regular basis. But normally people do have. In fact, the visa and the immigration system is very, very much like the traveling that we had, that people carry a lot of baggage, mental baggage in into the immigration office. People don't like to stand in line for long periods of time and they don't like yeah. to uh, put out so much of their personal information and all of this kind of stuff. But the mm -hmm. biggest one is, is the fear of rejection. Yeah, the fear of rejection. The last time that uh, three months ago. Not this uh, most recent time, but uh, because of COVID, uh, the Thai immigration police have opened a new immigration office here on this island. Oh, OK. And uh, they were reluctant to do that for many, many years, which means that all of the people and quite a number of them, because there's about 4000 people uh, uh, residents, 4000 resident foreigners living on this island, and everyone goes to Koh Samui to do the immigration. Well, now because yeah. of COVID and, and many other things, uh, they've opened an immigration office here on the island. However, there were none of the experienced uh, immigration staff that came from Koh Samui to Koh Phangan. Didn't happen. That's not the Thai way. You cannot take people out of their home and get, tell them to go over there. That it, uh, At best, they did a bit of training but basically, mm -hmm. the, Thai, the Thai police who became immigration police on the island had to start raw. They didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> right. So here I show up and they've got and they say, well, you got to do this, that and the other thing. 
normally going to Copangan to do the 90 day check in takes about 30 minutes. Okay. Three months ago, it took me four different visits to their office. Exactly. Four different wow. visits. And the last one we stayed and stayed, it took hours, but finally they gave yeah, the yeah. visa. Right. right. So yeah. that's troubling. Yeah. That was a lot of uh, hours of play for you. Well, <laughs> yes, except Grumpy came home. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful that you said, uh, you know, you shared that um, because when we practice, we think that we cannot be angry or we cannot have these human emotions. Uh, but I think that, that's just unrealistic because you never can kill your uh, nervous system or the hormones. You can only see that as a state, you know, like a consequence of whatever is happening and you don't put in a, another layer of expectation and have mm -hmm. a whole new different anxiety and depression about. Exactly. So, so Grumpy came, Grumpy did come home and I, <laughs> made, and I made a grumpy comment going out the door. And, <laughs> and, and Tam was there because without her, I wouldn't have been able to do it at all. But she was so, there and she heard that grumpy comment. And she so said, I just you can't talk to the police like that. <laughs> I think I just and, got and, another insight around, around this topic of it's okay to be grumpy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah. So my grumpy was uh, the statement that I made is, is that. We've been going to Kosamui, and this takes just uh, uh, 10 or 20 minutes. And here it's taken me four visits. Mm -hmm. And that grumpy cop came back with me and says, you can't go to Kosamui. you got to do it here. <laughs> and that's the, that's the way, because that's the way that the paperwork is done. You know, once you go into an office, the only way that you can get an immigration office changed is by changing locations. When mm -hmm. I go back to Udon Tani, then I'll register in Udon Tani. But, oh, so you uh, have to do everything from scratch, do you? Like, oh. yeah, but but what what's not from Yay. scratch is the fact that I've been living in Thailand all of these years, and the only things that I've had to learn is when immigration itself changes. Well, guess what? They just make a big change. They open an office and staff it with people that didn't have a clue about what they were doing. <laughs> but Yay. fast forward to this visit. The same people, but this time it was absolutely beautiful. I was so, oh, yes, sir. Thank you. Good to see you, sir. And he checks the documents and then all of that. And, and it basically took about 10 minutes. Amazing. It so took 10 minutes this time because we knew they knew what they were doing and I knew what they were doing and every, and it just dip, 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 and it was finished. <laughs> So just but I could have been grumpy that. this time because I remember being grumpy last time. Mm -hmm. And I could have walked in there grumpy this time, knowing that it's going to be really bad news like it was last time. No, it was different this time. Yeah. Okay, so this is the the, the way that we, we look at it. So now we can see that immigration itself is not important. It's only important to the individual or the ID, or the person, when they've yeah. got bad feelings mixed in it. When there's no bad feelings, it's just 
a toy to play with, some things to do. We'll get this done. Everything's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And so this is the kind of attitude that we begin to take with even things that we think are important. Yeah. And right now, I don't have anything else important in my life other than immigration. And I've turned that into a toy. I really don't have anything <laughs> important to do. Certainly yeah. politics. <laughs> what you say? Yeah, I was just going to ask for some help. Um, okay. Because um, I think I mentioned last time that I'm a little bit bummed about leaving New Zealand and um, going back to the UK because I have a really good life here. And um, how can I turn that into a toy? Like, can you? Have you like, been to the UK? Yeah, before? I used to live there. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. One yeah. of the things that will be uh, possible for you is to start paying close attention to the things that have changed. Because okay. it's not the same place that you left. Everybody yeah. kind of thinks that London is London. No, London is not London. <laughs> By Especially the time I COVID. said London is not London, it's already changed. Yeah. Maybe in a small way, but over the time of years, many, many things change. And now that COVID is there, there are huge amount of changes. So this is one of the things that you can do is uh, um, uh, put on that investigator's hat and start looking at what's different about the UK now than it was yeah. when you were there before. If you have that kind of attitude, that begins to make London a toy for you. Mm -hmm. I think you could, um, you could what you're trying to say is um, see through expectations. Many times we have this expectation, oh, if I'm going to London, this is what's likely going to happen. But that is also a fragment of our imagination. So we have no surety what we expect is going to turn out. But if you can go with an open mind without expectations, and that you're going to be enjoying the process of moving to UK. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you can um, try a bit of positivity. Just, um, you know, it, it's, see it as a challenge and um, celebrate when you are being successful. Um, yeah, one of the things that's really marvelous about London is there's no sheep. <laughs> <laughs> In New Zealand, you have to watch every step because there's likely to be a, a sheep pie that you have to step in. But <laughs> in London, they've got different pies there to step in. And I don't know whether that will be helpful, but for example, yeah. for me, I've never been to the UK. Um, so I didn't even have a chance to go to the UK and you have a privilege to go and travel. Yeah. That's so a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that so, will be helpful. So, yeah. oh, I like that one. That, that yeah, that one's actually oh, good. Okay. Yes, you're very fortunate to get to go to, to London. I yeah. have been to London, but I haven't been to nearly enough of it. Because <laughs> London's a really, really big place. I remember the museum, and I remember the Big Ben and that kind of stuff. But mostly I was there in Hamel, in Hamel Hampstead. Mm -hmm. So my experience of London is very, very small. And so I, too, am jealous of you going <laughs> to London. <laughs> yeah. There's so much of it there that you can enjoy. 
Do you have I, to be vaccinated to travel to the UK now? Or like, do you have to do the quarantine? What are the guidelines now? Because I'm coming in from New Zealand um, and traveling via Singapore. Uh, it's only a negative COVID test before I travel and one after. Um, okay. So it's not too bad. Uh, like okay. Again, something that I am grateful for um, is that I don't have to quarantine um, unless I actually have COVID. But see, as I'm saying this, I'm like, I'm noticing, well, it wasn't like that, you know, a few days ago, there was no test requirements and now I have to pay $300 to have a test. And it's not like, uh, or even think about, well, London's fine, but actually like, I like it here in Wellington. That's the thing I'm missing. It's like, well, that's the kind of recurring thought pattern in my head. Like kind of mm -hmm. focusing on what I don't have as opposed to what I do. Uh -huh. Or what I won't have or as opposed to what I will. Um, I've got a question about the yeah. vaccines versus the uh, the test, uh, because that seems to be a big deal now with uh, Biden making uh, it um, for the all the large corporations that if you have the vaccine, you're OK. But if you don't, you have to get tested once a week. I assumed uh, blindly and stupidly that to test for free. Now you're saying that to test for $300. That's, and I was wondering, what about the vaccine? I'd rather have the vaccine that if I had to pay for it than pay $300 for a test because the test is only good for a day. Exactly. Um, this specific test is uh, for, I mean, in general, in New Zealand, testing is free for controlling the pandemic. But if you're testing to travel, then they make you pay for it. <laughs> that's interesting can you yeah. get the vaccine before you go i got one dose and i'm gonna get oh, a second okay. dose in the uk oh so oh so i understand now that you have to be tested whether you've got the vaccine or not yes that's correct okay all right here in thailand they are very strict mm -hmm. everything is in lockdown Awesome. Uh, one of the things that's quite interesting is, is that if you go from uh, uh, by ferry from Koh Samui to um, or from here to Koh Samui or vice versa, when you get on the boat, they make you wash your hands, they take your temperature, they take your photo. And when you get off the boat, there's people over there who do exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and but so, they're being responsible. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so if anybody has any temperature or uh, they don't do actual testing, but if somebody's got a temperature, they'll stop them. Now, um, actually, going back to that recurring thought, Drew, right? You yeah. said you have this recurring thought of uh, kind of bitching, <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically, yeah, right? Um, it's just not like... Look, when I listen to you guys talk about London in a positive way, I feel the like positivity and then I pay a little bit more attention and I'm like, I hear. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but New Zealand is great. Yeah, but I, I really like it in Wellington. Yeah, but is uh -huh. that yeah, but of like, here's yeah, one, but this was better. Here's one. Yeah, more. but here's one. Yes, but yeah. OK, the, the yes, but is, is that uh, New Zealand is great. <laughs> but if you are miserable, then you make New Zealand miserable. 
Mm-hmm. Or the other side of it is, is that if London is great, but you make it in your own mind miserable, then London will be miserable. But see, this is all about your own choice about it. And so uh, having positive thoughts about London is more, much more healthy, wholesome and uh, beneficial for you than having negative thoughts about London. And then also yeah. having positive thoughts about New Zealand in relationship to the negative thoughts about London is not doing you any good. Yeah. So maybe you should spend a few moments talking to yourself about how terrible New Zealand is, like sheep, <laughs> <laughs> and how wonderful London is. And then you could begin to change your attitude about travel. I think um, another thing that you can do is every time you think, uh, London is fine, uh, but uh, may, you may be asking your question. You may try and ask your question, what does fine mean to me? And how do I know that it's going to be fine? Because when you're making that inference, it's based on your past experience. But this time is most likely to be different from what you think it's going to be or how it has been so that can use it you know you can use it as a reminder to get yourself back into the present moment right that's exactly what i was mentioning before but you're saying it in a better way than i that's (laughs) right yes exactly (laughs) that's that's it is is that uh because now you're going back with uh, to London with expectations of what London was a long time ago. And London's not like that now. Yeah. I'm also not going to pick with, up exactly where you left off. Things have changed. I guess it's OK. So also going with OK, so fine. I, I need to understand that London will have changed and what I'm returning to isn't going to be what I'm familiar with. And I can kind of get I on like- board with that. I think um, you understand, yeah. but I think it's difficult to remember that every time. Oh, yeah. but, right? There's a second so aspect said. to it, which is, um, it's kind of like I I, I saw a video of um, uh, of uh, one of Tamarato's calls, and it was kind of like the meditation thing. It was like you you sometimes you you know you you have to break this habit of you finish a meditation session and you're comparing it to the last one. And you're like, this one was good, and last one was bad, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm pretty good at not doing that with my meditation sessions, but I'm definitely not so good with doing that with like, well, where I've been living, because I've been thinking, well, this session, this place was great, and the last one was, you know, I'm I'm about to go into another session, and it's, you know, I'm like not sure. <laughs> I'm really glad you mentioned that. Let's put this in into gear then, if, um. Talking about it in the sense of meditation practice, and this practice is not as good as it was last time. Or this practice has been so great that the next one can't even be, like, can't be close. All right. (laughs) Either way, the whole point is, is that whether the meditation time is good or bad is not the issue. The issue is, can I be satisfied with it the way it is right now? Okay. If I could be satisfied with this particular moment the way that it is right now and just relax and be satisfied with it, the joy will grow. If I'm sitting here wanting joy, saying, where's my joy? I want to be better than I do now. Then that means that we're actively practicing being dissatisfied in that moment. 
If we can start practicing being satisfied, and one of the places of being satisfied has to do with you have to be able to feel safe. So we look around and see everything is safe right now. There's no real dangers here. There's no mother-in-law in the room. There's no snarling dogs. You've heard my rap about all of this. Okay, so we get ourselves to recognize that right now we're safe. What about, not, so I understand that safe, see, when I think of safety, I think of as a, you know, an antidote to, let's say, fear. But what about like upset? What's a good antidote to that? Oh, Damarato? Oh, he froze. Oh, no. Drew, I have the same issue. Like yeah? I, we, I just discussed it with him yesterday, and I was in tears because I oh. hated it. The way he said it, like I just, like I can't let go. It feels so comfortable to feel the normal way, the miserable way, and it's so yeah. hard to let it go. And like, actually, ha, huh, I just breathe. Read this. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's very wow. liberating. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Damarado, we took over. No, no, I uh, the internet went south, but you guys were still on. So, uh, continuing along with what I had was saying, that is, if we can practice getting ourselves into a state of satisfaction while we're practicing, then we can use that skill when we're in the airport. Because yeah. airports are places where there is, I would say there's probably more human suffering in an airport than any other one kind of place in the world. Everybody is uptight, everybody is tense, everybody is afraid, everybody is tired, everybody wants everything to happen sooner than it does, nobody likes to stand in line. We don't Everybody's even like being around the crowd. Leaving. Yes. Somebody, people, you got, sometimes people are upset because they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the vibe of an airport is tense. If you're aware of that tension in the airport, then you can be, while you're in the airport, satisfied with your level of tension, knowing that much of the tension that you're experiencing is coming from the airport itself that you're in its sea you're in its environment and you're breathing its air and its air is dirty and has been for months okay however knowing like that. that you can be satisfied while you're in the airport means mm -hmm. that now you can wake up and enjoy the experience rather than hiding from the tension and everybody there in the airport one of the characteristics of people in the airport is that they don't like being here they don't want to be here, and so they're trying to at least mentally escape from being in the airport. Mm -hmm. What you can do instead now is, is that you can be satisfied that you're in the airport. You know you're going into the airport. It's a necessary part to getting back to London and all of that kind of stuff. So by being satisfied while you're in the airport, you can actually investigate the airport for what it is. Take mm -hmm. a look. Enjoy your environment. Be there. Be there maybe even with the thought of, look at all these uptight people, but I don't have to be uptight. That's my choice. Yeah. And then you can actually start treating some of these uptight people in that airport with compassion that is naturally there to understand that the airports, by their nature, are extraordinarily tense places. Yeah. 
if you didn't have anything at an airport, but just the airport to get on an airplane, still people are afraid because of flight. <laughs> yeah. Everything about an airport is uptight, tense, security, checking in, inspecting your baggage. Nobody likes it. <laughs> Everybody hates an airport. And all you have to do is wake up to that and recognize, hey, I can handle this place. Yeah. I'm not going to be here very long, but I can be satisfied. I can be happy and joyful while I'm in an airport. So Even though what if, all the food's expensive and every, you know, I can go through a list of 10,000 things bad about an yes. airport and everybody knows it and everybody feels bad when they're in the airport. You don't have to. You can enjoy it. Up to you. So, so what's my game plan if um, I go in with that attitude, right? Airport's mm -hmm. fine. You know, uh, I can handle it. It's going to be tense. It's kind of like this, um, well, yeah, tense place, right? And so if I'm feeling a little bit down, that's natural and all that sort of stuff. But like, um, so you probably went in with to the immigration office with the game plan of, well, this is my toy, right? Uh -huh. But then uh -huh. you came out, you know, one of the times you came out grumpy. <laughs> what, what's the backup plan? Because I feel like I the might need it. Uh, the backup plan is, is that if you get grumpy, get out of the situation that you're grumpy. For instance, if you are having trouble checking in, yeah. a lot of us get really in a hurry when we're checking in. If right. you're getting grumpy while you're checking in, you can say, wait a minute, let me go stand at the back of the line and cool off because at the back of the line, at least I'm safe. Well, what about, sorry, not grumpy, but let's say upset, at, like the thought of leaving my friends. Well, it's all I, I would call <laughs> any time that you're dissatisfied, there's grumpy in there. But, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, I think people uh, have this natural change, uh, fear of change, and that yeah. can sometimes manifest as upset. You know, our brain yeah. is so sophisticated, it's going to disguise all, you know, negative emotions as much as it can. So um, it's like like you said it's natural to feel upset you can cultivate that view but i think one thing that you can do is watch out for the tendency to be upset about the fact that you're upset right so often that causes yeah, extra yeah. trouble right so if you're upset just it can be useful for you to see it as upset and leave it at that if you can, if you have the resource, you can try to, uh, you know, cultivate some positivity. But many a times, you know, emotions get so overwhelming, we don't have that energy to be very deliberate about it. In that case, I think you can distract yourself with something more um, tangible, like reading a book, listening to something. A latte. A latte. Yeah, a latte. <laughs> okay. Um, what you're saying is absolutely correct. Let me see if I can put it into a slightly uh, different kind of language here. And and that is, is that when we are grumpy or upset, normally because of Dhamma and all kinds of other stuff, we tell ourselves you're not supposed to be upset. You shouldn't be upset. Well, that you're supposed to not be upset is just more of that critical parent it's yeah. a law or a rule that you're breaking and now that you're breaking it and feeling bad because you're breaking a rule you've got to feel bad about that too 
<laughs> and so we do double whammy. Instead, if you find that yourself are being upset in the traveling, then the way to handle that is by saying, it's okay that I'm upset. Wow, what a tough business this is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm upset, I'll make it through. We'll get through this. And that is... Is that, and so you is that become a different form of satisfaction? Yes, that's when you begin to note, when you nourish yourself, that it's okay that you're upset. This is a tense situation. You'll get by just fine. These are nourishing thoughts as opposed to the critical thoughts. You're not supposed to be upset. Fuck up and get <laughs> over this. It's, yeah. um, uh, it's a parental uh, critical way of saying it rather than the nurturing way of saying it is, is that, yeah, it's okay that you're upset. I mean, airports are terrible places. Everybody gets upset in an airport. There's no reason to uh, for you to be mm -hmm. hard on yourself because you're just being like everybody else does. Why don't you just take a deep breath and relax? Yeah. Recognize yeah. that you're upset and that's okay. Relax, relax. And so we keep going back to that quality of nurturing. Nurture yourself as opposed to being critical on yourself. And mm -hmm. we need to do that in both of the cases, both in the case of the, let us call it the private practice or the seclusion. Mm -hmm. And then we have to, by getting fairly good at that in, in our own uh, secluded place, that gives us now the strength and the power or the skills to go actually to a real airport. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is you can actually, while you're sitting in meditation of giving yourself a dry run in the sense of mentally going through the process of arriving at the airport, putting your luggage down, saying hi to the captain there at the <laughs> front door, uh, meeting the people who are standing around the door with a great big smile and taking a deep breath and walking right into that hell we call an airport, knowing that you can handle this, okay? And so you take this time to build yourself a scenario before you actually go to the real airport. Yeah. You talk to yourself about how marvelous it's going to be and how easily you're going to be able to handle it. Yeah. Knowing... That the real the real airport is not going to be your fantasy. It's going to be real, but at least you can practice for it. Yeah. 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 So a more positive spin would be um, to celebrate that you have the skills to deal with whatever that situation presents to you, right? Yeah. And then you you feel confident and you can take the risk of being not okay. Now you're yeah. sounding just like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually I had an, a, a morbid thought, and I thought it might it might be it might instill fear instead. But I'll I'll, I'll try oh. it. So when you when you're standing there so miserable, about to like you know check in and stuff, you can like you can die, right? You can, yeah. the plane can go down and you, like you're on that plane and then you think to yourself, so I can die in like an hour when I board this plane. Is it worth for me to be so upset right now? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is so funny. I hear what you're saying now, finally. Yeah. Why should I feel now standing in line here in the airport when an hour and right. now that plane could go down and I'd be dead? <laughs> At least I'm yeah. alive right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. It might instill more fear, but it's just the way. No, I, I like, like that one. I can handle that one. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not, you know that's really a kind of an important point. Um, a lot of people in the West misunderstand the first noble truth as dukkha, as life is suffering, and life is not at all suffering. We we actually quite enjoy being alive. I'm actually enjoying being alive right now. This is quite nice being alive. I mean, I, I would rather be alive right now than this mouse connected to the computer. <laughs> it does yes. not have a life of its own, believe me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And so with this quality is, is that it's not life is suffering, but rather... Um, it's what we're doing that causes the suffering. And the causes of suffering would be like going into the airport, wanting the airport to be different. You want it to be a happy place, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's going to be your suffering, is by wanting the airport to be different than it is. But we already know what airports are. And it's not going to be different than what you think it's going to be. It is going to be the uptight, miserable place that everybody thinks it is. And because, in fact, everybody thinks that airports are uptight, miserable places, they create that uptight, miserable situation, and you have that choice also. You can either walk into the airport and let it be whatever airports are and be satisfied with that. Or you can go into the airport wanting the airport to be different than it is, and it's not. Which means now you're adding your own layer of suffering to it. That's dissatisfied with the airport rather than being satisfied with it in all of its misery, all of its warts. And we can still be satisfied with this present moment, even when we're standing in a long line at the airport. That this present moment is an okay moment. Yeah. And so when you get to the airport and you start practicing that on the airport, that will be a very, very good practice. You can practice it at two. You can practice it at uh, the uh, airport in New Zealand and you can uh, practice it at Gatwick when you arrive. And then you'll be ready to do exactly that same thing with London itself. Yeah. You can handle London's airport. (laughs) You can handle Heathrow. You can handle London. (laughs) that's true oh my gosh I'm going to have to bounce off because I need to pack and then sleep Um, maybe do some meditation but thank you guys I really appreciate this this is great you enjoy your trip actually enjoy it you can you can say to yourself I'm going to like this I'm going to be satisfied and joyful no matter how tough this airport trip thing is yeah (laughs) Lots of love to you, I'd really like to hear from you when you get there. I want to make sure that you didn't fly into the kind of airplane that... (laughs) (laughs) I I was talking about earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, um, definitely. Um, Yeah, I'll have to figure out the time zones because... But yeah, um, I'll I'll, I'll give you a ring. Thanks. And And I'll probably see all of you... Hopefully see all of you next uh, weekend. But... (laughs) Um, I'm not worried. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'm just thinking um, depends on where I am and who I'm visiting and if if I have the internet and all that sort of stuff. But it should be fine. I'll deal with it.
you'll be fine. Yeah. You can deal with it. I'm sure you can. Yeah. Thanks. All right, guys. Bye, Drew. We'll see you. Thank you. Well, guys, as you know, when we're talking about that whole show at the airport, we're not really talking about an airport at all. We're talking about <laughs> every moment that we're out there. That's true. Yeah. For yeah. me, the airport is Tong Salah, which is a little town here on the island. <laughs> Yeah, the specifics can change. It can be different environment, but the you know strategies to take care of our mental health at every moment is the same. It's the same, exactly. Yeah. And that um, that's something just kind of interesting we've talked about before. That a lot of people in psychology think that all of these problems are solved in the office with the psychologist. Oh. No way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, no. The best we could do in the psychologist's office is to figure out how we're going to handle out there every moment. And this is where the practice comes in. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is to be able to practice. And one of the things to do is to practice these um, uh, uh, scenarios, I guess is the right word to do it. That if we know that we're going to go to the visa office, then I'm practicing before I go there. I'm going to be able to handle everything. And when I when I went, it was just like <laughs> I had planned on because I had worked it out that I'm going to be in really, really great condition, really good shape to handle this. And so this is getting that scenario going. So uh, another example would be an, an interview for a job. Yeah, I have. I have one uh, student who came back from the interview and he said two things about it. One is they gave him the job right there in the interview. <laughs> and number two was is that they, uh, uh, the interviewer was surprised at how relaxed he was. Well, that's what he had done is he had practiced being able to do the, uh, uh, the interview relaxed. Yeah. And all the other applicants, for, because for them, that interview was really important to do mm -hmm. a good job in the interview. And here they are all on tight doing a good job in the interview. And he's in there having a ball with the interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's relaxed and he's enjoying the interviewer. And the interviewer is so impressed with his ability to handle the interview, they gave him a job on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, something similar happened to me, actually. Um, I I was like, my, it was my first interview, but it went really well. And at point, one point when I was really anxious, I had the decision of trying to hide it or just calling it out, you know. So I said, here comes anxiety and we managed to have a laugh about it. Right. So yeah. instead of me being anxious and trying to manipulate myself, kind of navigated that well. So. Yeah, well, I would imagine that in your your case, these uh, the interviewer knew what she was doing, and <laughs> that she was quite impressed that you knew what you were doing in that moment. Yeah. Recognizing <laughs> you too had you had actually gotten yourself anxious and uptight, and you're willing to be able to see that and deal with it in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Which is that's that's what real life is all about. But instead, we get the idea that life is dukkha. All going to the airport is dukkha. Going to these interviews are dukkha. No, the interview is not going to be dukkha. You're taking the dukkha into the interview. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I tend, I started this um, habit, I guess, when I tell myself that I have to do something, I stop for a second and I ask myself, do I really want to do it? <laughs> would, would I want to do it? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and that's that very gives, good. Gives me a little space to like, yeah, let me try instead of, oh, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. brilliant. Yeah. Miserable. So yeah, so you're exercising uh, deliberation, right? You're making choice. You may, you're telling yourself, yeah, this is I this I think is going to be enjoyable for me right now. So that mm -hmm. is very, yeah, that's very positive. Mm -hmm. Exactly, which is uh, that cliche that I use is turn every important thing into a toy. Yeah. And so this guy was able to turn that interview into a toy. He was actually able to go in. OK, this this toy is my job or my <clears throat> my task or my thing to do is to be relaxed. I can do this relaxed. And he was so yeah. well relaxed that he got the job just because he was relaxed and all the other applicants were <laughs> uptight gets. That's what attachment does. Mm hmm. And so the interview that's in it that's so hard for people to understand because it's just well known that interviews are tense situations yeah no, they're not the tension is all optional <laughs> <laughs> yes that that's up to you right so mm -hmm. people often don't acknowledge how much power they have over their near future Mm -hmm. And and that's that's the freedom, but it comes with the cost of responsibility as well. Uh, you know, sometimes when I when my flight mode is kicked in, uh, you know, I'm stressed and I want to escape the stress. I think, oh, if I was a kid when I had no responsibilities and then I remember, oh, there was no freedom. So there's a choice. We can be uh, free, but we do have to make the right choices to sustain that freedom. You know, that's exactly right. What you're actually saying is, is that when we are raised as a victim, we are raised without freedom. What in fact a victim is, is the one who has no freedom. Mm -hmm. And that the winner then is the one who has the freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay, the one who is not a victim, that in fact uh, we, uh, <laughs> it's almost like, that what creates the victimhood is the loss of freedom. Mm -hmm. And when we regain that attitude that I can handle this, then we actually gain that responsibility yeah. that we can handle it rather than running away from it or being trapped by it. And so this is all really interrelated. There's just so many different ways of looking at it, but it really is down to the point that at every moment we've got a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every we moment we've got a choice. Go ahead. Can we take a look at uh, my little thought pattern here? So, um, so I'm, I'm, I tend to find myself a little further away in the future when I catch myself um, thinking to my thinking overthinking and uh, that being in the future actually gives me more pleasure because I have I guess more uh, more expectations bigger expectations there and as if it's better than now then I tell myself but I need to be here now so that's kind of a little mm, 
kind of jerk, look at a little jerk moves, movements that I don't really like. Then I try to like it, like say, okay, yes, you're right. <laughs> that I need to be in the, I need to be in the present moment. And then I try to kind of talk myself into enjoying it, but it's still not the same as I would be really enjoying okay. it. I understand what you're saying. Um, perhaps uh, going back to using the word nurturing then, as mm -hmm. opposed to talking yourself into it, because oftentimes we try to talk ourselves into feeling good the exact same way that we talked ourselves into feeling bad, which mm -hmm. is being critical. Mm -hmm. And we often then are now critical in the sense, you ought to be feeling good right now. Why the hell are you feeling bad when you could feel good? But you hear the criticism in there, and so naturally the little child is going to feel even worse because now he's been caught doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that I'm talking about talking ourselves into feeling good is nurturing in the sense of everything is all right. Yeah, it's all right. You're uptight right now. Yeah, that's okay. Take a deep breath. Everything's going to be all right. Everything is fine right now become satisfied and relaxed even when you just told yourself that you're uptight and you want to relax see if you if you tell yourself that you're uptight and you want to relax it's hard to relax but when you say yeah you're uptight but that's okay there's no problem everything is all right be uptight for a little while and then you can relax and everything will be all right so it's not yeah. even about what you should be thinking or what thoughts are in your head. It's about just it's all right to think and you can be you. But it's it's good <laughs> to relax. <laughs> yeah. You already are acceptable the way that you are. You're already good enough. You already passed the test. You're already in the club. Oh my God, how, why is it so hard to believe this? You know, like. Well, these are just nurturing thoughts that I'm having. <laughs> these are just nurturing thoughts. That's all they are. You're already there. You're already in the club. No, you've been you've here. You've already passed so, the test. One thing that you can use as a cue, maybe think about. So you have a preference for imagining your future, right? And that can be a very good exercise for establishing goals. But you do have to then come back to the present moment and say, okay, my present is very, very intertwined with the future. So I'm going to do things in the present moment that is going to help me achieve my goal in the future. And then you do not deny, you know, you don't stop your uh, inner child from imagining the future, but you say, you reason with it and tell it, okay, let's take a look at the present and be skillful in the present moment so that we can achieve those future goals. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can try that and see how it works, if it works for you or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I can do today to, to, to bring that future on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. These are Anna, I'm actually, go ahead, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that these are really complicated and uh, they need some time, you know, for you to mm -hmm. uh, be very skillful in that bringing back to the present moment. It takes some time, but with repetition, you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. That's right. Over and over again, we repeat everything's all right. Everything is fine. What a nice day this is. Everything's going to work out. There's no problems, no worries, no place to go, nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And everything is all right right now. Okay. Even if I'm uptight, I can still tell myself that. But by the time I've told myself that, I'm probably not nearly as uptight as I was if I'd have been telling myself, <laughs> you ought to stop being so uptight all the time. <laughs> 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 but just instead, let's have these wholesome, nurturing thoughts. Everything's all right. Oh, what a nice day this is, etc. This is how we practice over and over again. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. Lost you for a second. So, Anna, I want to tell you that I'm really pleased with you. I'm really proud of you. You're <laughs> in there. You keep going, girl. You keep at it. You're yeah. <laughs> Keep going, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's seemingly such an easy thing to do, and I can't. I can't believe myself that I have such a hard time. I usually get. Well, see, that's my, that's my thinking here. I usually get stuff done. Like, uh -huh. if I need to learn something, I just go and do it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. here, it's completely different approach of, of actually like like loving it to to do like it giving mm -hmm. myself a freedom to like be okay and that's so liberated and relaxing and i can't believe i've been missing it all my life <laughs> guess what you're not the only one who spent many years uptight <laughs> many years of telling myself stop being so uptight that's terrible you should stop it <laughs> Yeah, really. Well, because how, conditioning is so thick, right? We have been told for so many years, right? Uh, majority of our lives to behave and think in a certain way. And now suddenly we come across this new way. So novelty is definitely a bit, you know, what is going on? It kind of throws people off. So, Damarado, do you know how, like, on average, how long does it take for a person who calls you to to actually act upon like to actually switch the thinking into nurturing thinking and the nurture not even thinking but yeah but like treating yourself better like how Abs long absolutely everyone can do it yeah. and how long it takes you to develop the habit is unique for each individual person an <laughs> example is is that some people call me and get what i'm talking about and they don't need to call back other people don't understand what I'm talking about, and they don't call back either. Mm -hmm. Another kind of person, though, is the one like you that keeps calling back and keeps calling back and keeps getting better and better at it slowly, slowly over time. And then within a few months, it's automatic. It's all of a sudden like something miraculous has happened. This is, in fact, the story of Danny that we've been talking about, that this happened to him. It just yeah. happened to him three years ago, and here you are <laughs> going through it again. And congratulations, yeah. you can make it. You can come through <laughs> this. 
Yeah, I'm already, I, I can feel, sometimes I can definitely feel how playful I can be with life. And then I go back and then, it, you know, there's still like this movement. Sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Yeah. That should change her. That's the major teaching of the Buddha is a Nietzsche. But we have to understand that he's talking about it in a very, very profound way, rather than an ordinary sense of, yeah, everything's changing. I know I'm a physicist and I know all about electricity and I know what change is all about. And it doesn't help me feel better at all. But there's another way of looking at this issue of change. And that is, is that whatever it is that I call me is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that means that we need to, on a regular basis, take a good look, investigate again. Mm -hmm. Ask how you're feeling, what you're doing, what you're mm -hmm. thinking, and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And with the standards that we have of knowing that, hey, I can, in fact, have nurturing thoughts rather than critical thoughts. Then I can change those thoughts over and over again from nurturing to critical until the things, till the nurturing thoughts begin to get like, wow, what a relief. Wow, I couldn't believe how great things really actually are. <laughs> that the present moment is actually quite a wonderful thing. Being alive is marvelous. Mm -hmm. Now, that's yeah. really, really kind of wholesome that we're talking about here. And that's how you begin to look at the world of what a marvelous place this is and how I feel so marvelous is almost a big surprise to me over and over again. Yet another, wow, how good things really are. <laughs> Pleasantly surprised again at how good things are. Mm -hmm. But that's just an attitude. It's still just an attitude because I can go back and have the old attitude of ain't immigration police terrible monsters. They don't know what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can talk about process orientation and goal orientation here. So goal orientation would be um, I want to achieve a state where I'm in bliss all the time but the process orientation would be okay that's my goal but i'm going to enjoy take a look at the process like whatever i'm doing right now right mm -hmm. and and that is probably a better idea because if you enjoy it in the present moment you're going to you're likely to remember the learnings the decisions you made the emotions you had in the next moment so you kind of hack your brain into enjoying the present moment so that you remember it more and it mm -hmm. makes you easier uh, to repeat all of those uh, skills Mm -hmm. uh, I <laughs> when you were talking about that, I had the mental image of riding a train. And there's two uh -huh. passengers on the train. One uh -huh. of them is looking at his ticket. He's looking at the map. He's looking at his watch. He's talking to the conductor and he says, when are we going to get there? The other one is on the other side of the train looking out the window and enjoying the ride. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. How are you going to live your life? Are you going to be on the train of life looking out the window or in our case, looking in the window and seeing what's going on in there <laughs> as opposed to trying to get this over with? Yeah. Yeah, that's very, that's quite a metaphor there. The, the yeah, wanting... just, 
Yeah. Just enjoy the train ride. We're on the train of life. Just no. mm -hmm. okay. No, another maybe like out of like a uh, right hand issue here. Like <laughs> so, the the money, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's a, it's a, a necessary aspect of things. Now I understand that thinking, even thinking of of money, gives me a straightforward anxiety. Like just even if I have money, I still if I think it of depends a, upon what you have as a thought of money that you said yeah. every time I think of money. Well, mm -hmm. we can think of money as a great big pile of green paper sitting on a pallet. We, mm -hmm. we can think of a great big bank vault full of money. There's many mm -hmm. different things, but when you think of money, you think mm -hmm. of money that you don't have and you want. Mm -hmm. And there's where the anxiety is not a thought of money. Okay. It's a thought of, I need something I don't have. Okay. Instead of something that you just know exists, money just exists. One of the things that you can count on is, is that right now I can look at the video and see that you, you're fairly well fed, you're fairly healthy. I don't see money as uh, uh, making you completely impoverished. Mm -hmm. And yet I know people who can become completely impoverished and they still don't have the anxiety about money that you do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so it's not the money that gives you the anxiety, but it's the kind of thoughts you have that give you anxiety. And you said it's thoughts of money, but thoughts of money, I mean, I'm thinking about money that I've got so much of it that I'm throwing it in the air saying, whippy, and that's just a thought. And you're having the thought of, I ain't got none. Where's my money? Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This ain't yeah, lack of money, I guess. This is the thought. Yeah, so you're thinking of lack of money and that that's dangerous. And so you're actually giving yourself yeah. dangerous thoughts. Okay. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about those dangerous thoughts, you probably had those dangerous thoughts about money sitting in the very chair that you're sitting in now. Before. <laughs> and yet you yeah. did not jump up and immediately race to the bank. You would rather sit there and feel bad about money than going and doing something about it. Mm -hmm. When we recognize that I'm not going to go and do anything about this money, why should I sit here and feel bad about it? Right. Mm -hmm. And then the answer to that, well, something may happen in the future. The answer to that is yes, and if it does, I'll be able to handle it very well if I can handle my moment of worrying about money right now and stop myself from being worried about money, then when real money issues come up in a present moment of that kind, I can handle that too. So it goes back to that self-preservation instinct and the need for security. Right. No money, no me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which can all, <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a Thai joke. That I just rearrange. No money, no honey. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you hear that at the brothels. But anyway, um, back back to the point of that our society is built upon the premise of the rich taking advantage of the poor. This is mm -hmm. what capitalism is all about. 
or in many cases, the rich taking advantage of more stupid rich people. They would rather, in fact, take advantage of the rich because you only have to screw over one man to get $100,000 if he's rich. To yeah. where you may have to screw over a thousand people just to get a hundred dollars each one of them from. So mm-hmm. it's a whole lot easier for the rich to steal from the rich. And boy, they're good at it. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that almost no one starves to death by not working. And yet our culture says, as you don't work, you don't eat. Mm-hmm. But the only people who can guarantee that are slavers. The only ones who can guarantee that are the ones who have complete authority over you. And in fact, you can quit your job and immediately go to the sandwich shop. They are not connected. You don't work and you don't eat or are completely not connected. And yet you're making the connection. If you don't work, you don't have money, you don't eat. Therefore, I don't even have to worry about the job. All I have to do is worry about the money and I can feel bad. So you're just making a shortcut into bad feelings. Mm-hmm. When you can think of money and think of it as as uh, uh, paper airplanes that you could throw from mm-hmm. the, from the top of the building. <laughs> Here, this is a thousand dollar bill. Let me pull this up. I'll throw that one too. <laughs> you get so, to have uh, the mental imagery mm-hmm. that money is not dangerous and not having it is not dangerous. Mm-hmm. That another way of looking at it is that you can be confident and secure and comfortable with very little. And I've been there. I've practiced it. I lived through it and I still don't believe it, you know? Yeah. Uh huh. Well, that's because you keep telling yourself that which you don't believe. You keep feeling bad when you think of money as if it were scarce, that there's not enough of it. And I'm offering you the opportunity to say that you can be satisfied with what you have. And you can have mental imagery of making it fun. Thinking of money is something that's fun to play with rather than some monster. <laughs> okay, so what will be the celebrate? Uh, yeah, what will be the plan of action? So. Well, for rich people, the money is still a monster. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Money is a monster. (laughs) But in fact, the more you have of it, the more you want. Isn't that generally the case? That the rich really want more money. They never have enough of it. And yet every one of us thinks that money will gain us security. That's Mm -hmm. one of the social lies. There is, perhaps you both heard the story, there's a story, um, I forgot who wrote it, but it's a very old book, it's a little book, and it's called The Prince and the Pauper. Oh, yeah, 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 it's a French uh, It's a French book, right, and the story is, is that a young boy who was very, very street, streetwise, something like an Oliver Twist, that he was identified and caught. They figured out who his real parents were. And his parents said, yes, this is the kid because he had a tattoo or, or a, a birthmark or something like that. That he was, in fact, the long lost prince that had been lost about the same time as this kid was. So everything fit and they could prove that this kid, this street urchin who was streetwise, was, in fact, the long lost prince. They bring him into the palace. They scrub him up, put fine clothes on him, and put a guard with him, a whole regiment of guards. He's got his own uh, police force. 
And after a while in the book, this kid begins to figure out that he was actually better off out on the street. <laughs> that this palace is dangerous. And not only that, but it's got no freedom. And yeah. nobody's happy in this palace. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the next part of the book is, is that he escapes from the palace. And he goes back out on the street where he can be happy. And he's finally happy, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And there's another twin story, and we know about this twin story. This twin story actually comes from Chang Tzu. And we know that he was actually, basically, he was a kind of a, a minor official in one of the districts of China way, way back when, 2,000 or so years ago, maybe 2,500 years ago. And that the, uh, the new emperor uh, was looking for uh, workers who would come to the palace and do a good job. And so they sent emissaries to Chang Tzu to get him to uh, become one of the government ministers. And he says, well, come back tomorrow. And And they came back tomorrow and they found him fishing. He wasn't ready for them at all. He didn't have any fine clothes or anything. He was he was gone fishing and they came and they found him fishing. And he told them the story about the white sacred turtle, which is the story that I want to tell you. The kids in China found a turtle that was an albino completely white. The child who found it immediately picked up this turtle and took it to the village and the village, everybody was impressed with this. And over time, they built a shrine for this turtle. They built a little pond in this temple and there they ensconced this white turtle who had a beautiful gold gilted pond to live in and uh, on one occasion one of the uh, attendants or workers or whatever left a board laying in the water that was it gave the turtle a chance to crawl out of his um, uh, temple-like beautiful shrine pond and as he was leaving the temple and walking out a rabbit asked him, don't you like your fine temple? Don't you like the palace that they have built for you? And he says, no, I'm just a turtle, and I'd rather be dragging my tail through the mud than being the emperor of the temple and shrine. Okay, and so this is what Chang Tzu told them as the story about, man, you are not going to get me into that palace. <laughs> Because he would rather be just a, 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 a turtle dragging his tail through the mud happily. Yeah. Okay. So I took that for myself also, that I really would prefer not to become famous. I don't want them to ensconce me into some strain, that I would rather have the freedom to just spread the Dhamma and just go around doing it like that with no concern about the money or the opulence or wanting any value out of it. That Mm -hmm. everything right now is just okay. And right now, Anna, everything about your life is marvelous. It's okay. And yet you are making yourself miserable when you think about money, when in fact money's not a problem for you. I can look at the way you're dressed and the house you're in and the, and, uh, the expression on your face and and all of that until you right now, I can see money is not your issue. Worrying about money is your issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah that's so so true but the thing is i always come as a as a source for others i like people come and ask money ask for money from me and i mm -hmm. always give it away okay and you're worrying about money and you're and here I'm, giving it away happily the question that's, is that's, can you give it away happily or do you say oh poor me i'm giving away something that's important to me <laughs> I am giving away it happily and I don't expect it coming back. However, recently I had a like, and it, usually it comes back because it's kind of a, a common courtesy. But in my like last relationship, I'm, I am con I'm concerned that I, I went a little out of my way. Uh, and I'm not giving anything back. <laughs> so, and I'm trying to kind of pa like, all right, whatever. It's just well, some. Sometimes you, I mean, you win a few, you lose a few. Easy come, easy, easy go, mm -hmm. and uh, you can keep that memory with the fond memories of, hey, I was able to give money away without getting any of it back, and I'm still okay. Or you can feel bad and say, I gave money away and I didn't give it back and now I'm feeling miserable. That's your choice because, see, you can't change the past. The past yeah. is yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you have a choice of how you're going to feel about the past right now. When you mm -hmm. think of the mm -hmm. past, when you think about, that guy ripped me off. I bar He borrowed money from me and he's not paying me back. I hate him. And all you're doing is hating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But when so you're saying you, you, congratulations, I can give money away and not get it back, and it don't bother me. So, Anna, by by, by the way you describe this experience, I have this idea. I get the idea that you have already learned something out of this experience, which is maybe sometimes it is good for you to say no, which is completely mm -hmm. fine. Right. So you have probably learned that lesson and that is going to help you in the future. But you already also have learned something uh, which is at the level of emotions. Right. That I am mm. feeling I should feel bad because I gave away money. So here maybe it's um, useful for you to see that what kind of learning you choose to retain and what kind of learning is not serving you and you do not engage with it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have really experienced as a new as a new way of learning living. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I can duplicate what I, the, the lesson I received. And then next time I see <laughs> that this yeah. is the way it's going. But yeah, but <laughs> go on. Okay, I don't know whether this issue comes in, but like I tend to save on myself, and that's why I can have collection, like you know, um, uh, some extra that I can give away. But I will never say no to others. Too. Congratulations! The next knock at your door will be my fist. What is that? <laughs> what is this? What is this issue? <laughs> this is so interesting. I just started noticing this. Yeah. I can 
that's what this what is, practice is all about is to begin to notice things that have mm -hmm. been there all along that's mm -hmm. why in common culture we call it subconscious it's because yeah. we're just not paying attention to it yeah, now yeah. you're waking up you're paying attention to it congratulations this is what i've been on about is you're beginning to see what's there <laughs> and that's that's marvelous that you're waking up, but some of the stuff you're seeing you don't like so much. <laughs> I know. And where do I need to? What what kind of change? I'm le I'm learning. There are lessons, and and I'm grateful for them all. And yet, uh, sometimes it's painful for me to realize that I'm just ripping myself off by helping some other person that will never probably help me ever in in return. And why okay. am I even expecting? But it's not the money. It's the fact that you're spreading joy. That spreading the joy is more important than spreading the money. But we have that mistake in Western society of thinking that you can make somebody joyful by giving them money. And that may not be the case at all. But okay. some cases, giving them joy rather than money would be the right thing to do. Or mm -hmm. another way is give them both money and joy. Yeah. That they come for money, but what they get is the joy. Mm -hmm. And the money is optional. <laughs> How do we do that? <laughs> well, just like we've been doing it here, you have to practice. Joy. <laughs> How, how, I mean, think about that. That's the scenario. The, I have the imagination. The next time someone comes to you for money, how are you going to respond? <laughs> well. Set up the scenario. How are you going to respond? Because you've got a choice, and you can make that choice kind of in advance. And so, when somebody comes for the money, says, "Hot dog, I've been waiting on you. I'm playing. I'm ready for you." <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like I want to be very cautious. Now I feel like I'm almost. I don't want to trust as much. To, you know, I just not like I want to close up now, instead of. I understand know. that. And that's a natural, remember the whole point about a Nietzsche, remember the whole point about sometimes you feel openness, sometimes you feel closed. That's okay. Be satisfied with what you are in any particular moment. That is okay for you to close down and not give out money because you mm -hmm. feel that you've been burned. But the other part that I'm mentioning is, is that you can go through that whole process in a satisfied way, or you can go through that process dissatisfied. This is your choice. So when people come to borrow money, you can tell them no and be joyful and happy with them, or you can tell them yes and be joyful and happy with them. Mm -hmm. But the money, like I say, is optional. But the skill is the skill of being able to handle that situation and the hand and the situation of somebody going to borrow money from you is very much like you're being stranded in the airport going back to the earlier part of our conversation it's the same thing when somebody comes for money they're in pain they would have not come for you to for money if they didn't have a problem and well so, they don't even they don't even come it's just me <laughs> being generous like because i have and i can share all right, we'll be generous with your joy. I, I, yeah, and I think you they remember need your the joy more we... than they need your money. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. 
we spoke about this um, generosity and compassion and its relation to self-preservation. Uh, I think Anna could benefit from that um, lesson that, you know, you were telling the other day that compassion doesn't mean I when when I see somebody drowning, I also get off the boat and join him. It means I stay in the boat and I throw the rope to him. So you don't have to drain yourself financially to be generous. You mm -hmm. can make sure that you can sustain yourself and then be generous. So that that's a little bit of, you know, moderation going on. But the feeling of compassion or generation should it is the same no matter how much you give, how many times you give in that present moment, that feeling of generosity that you're experiencing is the same. Yeah, and that feeling is good. <laughs> and yeah, this is mm -hmm. a very pleasant feeling. <laughs> exactly. It certainly is. And that feeling uh, uh, can be expressed as the word poly word mudita, which mm -hmm. means that it's now to be spread back. Mm -hmm. So then, in fact, that's the whole point about the generosity. You're giving something to make someone feel better. Mm hmm which is the money because of their uh, and our society's confusion that getting money is a pleasurable thing to do, where in fact it may not be. Yeah. Especially if you're signing away your life. I mean, selling your soul to the devil or mortgaging your soul or all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm not talking about actualities. I'm talking about the way we feel about it. Mm -hmm. The way we feel about money. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that the way that you can begin to cultivate that is, is that you're satisfied with the amount of money that you have. And if you're wanting to uh, to spread joy, then spread joy. You don't have to give away money to spread joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. I feel like it's, often it's I, not the money. Sometimes yeah, yeah. people will receive money and be joyful, and sometimes people will receive your gift and resent you for it. <laughs> you cannot control how other people are going to respond. You can't control how other people feel. You can't control other people's thoughts, but you can well, it almost, control it almost, your own. Yeah, it makes me, I guess, feel more like empowered, I guess, when I help others. And that's like selfish. Right. OK, <laughs> so be powerful and give them marvelous gifts of smile. <laughs> Give them a five dollar smile or a five rupee smile. <laughs> that is it, that if you're wanting to spread joy, spread joy. Mm -hmm. Money is a poor substitute for joy. People have been mm -hmm. trying it for centuries and we look at the society we built and <laughs> with that opinion. No, it's true because you want to be like giving something tangible, not this, you know, folklore, joyful. Them wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Tangible. tangible. Money like often is not tangible. Money itself is often just a number on a piece of paper or a number on your yeah. screen. It's not tangible. But a mm -hmm. smile, a warm hug, a compliment, congratulating yeah. someone, that's mm -hmm. tangible and they get it and they feel it. Mm -hmm. 
Everything is more tangible than money. So be careful about giving something tangible because you are giving something tangible. You're giving joy. You're giving love. You're giving uh, uh, happiness. Mm -hmm. And that is in much more short supply than money. I mean, the world's just (laughs) washed with money and everybody's still unhappy. (laughs) But that's part of the, um, uh, uh, let us call it the human um, delusion that we're in is the connection of money and happiness. The, the, um, the, the connection, the false connection that money is security. Mm-hmm. That in fact, people who don't have any money at all would say, if I had some money, I'd feel secure. But they don't feel secure. They have the thought, if I had more money, I'd feel secure. Mm-hmm. And finally, they wind up with a huge, huge, huge amount of money. They may have seven or eight digits on that piece of paper that they see on the screen or on the screen. <laughs> And they still feel insecure. That's what the whole story about the prince and the pauper was. That kid was out on the street better off as a street urchin than he was in the palace. The palace was a miserable place, and yet everybody wants in the palace and everybody wants off the street. Well, they have two differentiation and happiness. In Greek, I think, it's eudaimonic and hedonic. Yeah. The, okay. I'm listening. The hedonic happiness is the material happiness, and there is it's uh, prone to you have to you prone to develop hedonic adaptation. So the more you have, the more you want. Like mm-hmm. you got a new car, and then it gets old, and you want another one. Now there's and Jay Udem- Leno has sixteen cars. Yeah, yeah. And eudaimonic happiness is the one that's exactly the soul-based, the spirit, the richness of uh, interaction, the relationship you have with others, and that's what we're poor in, I guess. Yes, (laughs) and that that whole point, though, is is that we need to move our mind state out of the issue that money brings happiness into the mind state that, hey, the happiness is here if I make it Money is optional. Mm-hmm. The money is actually optional. Yeah. Okay. And so next getting time. it can become mm-hmm. a game, can become a toy. It's not important. The money is not important. No. No. So the next time the I catch myself of thinking of lack of money. Do I just say, take a breath in and say, well, I don't have I'm to okay. I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right right now. I've got enough right now. Let's yeah. not worry about future money. What we've got right now is okay. I'm satisfied. <laughs> this is That's good. A good one. This is fine. This is enough. That actually, I would say that's possibly one of the most important words for people to learn. The word yeah. enough. Enough, yeah. Enough. Enough already. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got enough now. I'm satisfied with this. Polau is the way they say it in Thailand. Right. Polau. That's enough. That, is, that concept is very, um, it used to be woven into the fabric of 
Indian lifestyle, you know? Yes, there was, it was, there were it stages. was, and it's, I mean, that's one of the problems with Asia is it's become westernized. Yeah. So in India, it's a very um, common practice for people at a certain age to leave their worldly pursuits and just go into a monastery or a retirement home and uh, practice spirituality. And that used to be a common, very common thing. Not anymore, though. Uh, but it's, it's still actually quite common in Thailand that, in fact, the oh, whole wow. culture has to do with the retirement. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the property owner, the landowner, the businessman, whatever, he gives it all to his family with right. enough to go build a little hut in mm -hmm. the temple. And so every temple in Thailand has all of these little huts that the guys who built them have died and they're there for the young people to come and move into. Wow. Okay, so that's actually quite common. Uh, uh, but it's a common thing in India, and you, as you say, it's become uh, because of the commercialization and the westernization mm -hmm. of the old practices. But that's part of the old practice, is to, to get what you needed out of life so that you can retire and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And in the West, when they retire, they don't know what to do with themselves, and so they wind yeah, up dying yeah. early because their whole identity was in the because work. Yeah, it's because it's flipped, right? You, previously, in the Asian way, it used to be you enjoy your life, but at a certain point, you have to start giving up and start uh, stop chasing for better or for more. But in the Western society, it has become how much can I suffer right now and work right now so that I can have more when I retire? So mm -hmm. that's a weird flip between mm -hmm. the two systems. So... Yeah, for, after retirement, you often see people being not being able to enjoy just because, you know, they're old, their faculties are not as and good the, as they used their to be. habit patterns are set in yeah, yeah. fight. The old yeah, habit. absolutely. And there's chemical reactions with this. You know that in the adrenaline uh, system, mm -hmm. that there's also cortisone. Yeah. And that elderly people wind up, because that chemical doesn't break down as easily as adrenaline, this mm -hmm. is why old people are known. To, they even have movies by the name of Grumpy Old Men. When people get <laughs> old, they get grumpy. <laughs> yeah. And that's especially true in the West because they don't, right. they, they, they're grumpy on and on and on and on, building that dead cortisol. So when they get 65, nobody wants to be around these guys, not even each other. <laughs> Yeah, you got two old men just angry at each other like this, and that's their whole relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to have uh, retired people still being a part of a community, like uh, a yeah, a bigger community, not per se a retirement center, like uh, and not uh, integrated into. How are retirement centers integrated into community in India? Maybe I don't, I don't know that. Are they? It's at home. Generally, it's at home, as opposed oh, okay. to. But in fact, here in Thailand, for instance, there's almost, but there are a few, but there are so few of them that they are remarkable, because they're there, and that is retirement villages, retirement homes, and that kind of thing is almost non-existent in Thailand. Yeah. And it does is because of 
the fact you could go so far as to say it's because the Watts have have not been doing their job because most of those people would go live in the Watt. Let us say mm-hmm. the old lady is 56 and, and because of a bus accident or something that she's alone and all of her family is dead. What's she going to do with her life? The answer is she's going to go live in the Watt and she'll be happy there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there are so few retirement places, but there are some. But I'd say there's probably less than a thousand people in Thailand in retirement places. And I know right. retirement places in the United States, one retirement place with a thousand people. <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, that's the problem with these retirement communities is it's almost like a warehousing. Mm-hmm. It almost is a hospital setting. Yeah. yeah. That's just okay so uh, i know because i've been in that was my family's business oh yeah long-term care facilities and so um um, it's interesting about the medication because the medications are not always they're they're never forced Mm -hmm. but it has to do with what does the word force mean you cannot force a patient. Yeah, you cannot force a patient to take the medicine if they're absolutely adamant about not taking it. But there's a whole lot of tricks you can use to get them to take their. Yeah, medicine. you can convince <laughs> them. And what's the definition of convincing? And where do we draw the line? Yeah, right? what is the word convince? And and how how many fingers do I have to have on your throat to convince you? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And so that is very much a hospital setting when mm-hmm. people don't need to be in the hospital. They don't need to be in these retirement communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them that I know of that I had an aunt that we tried to talk her out of it, but she she paid the money anyway. And the place that she lived was more like a hotel. Oh. It really was. I mean, it had a great big lobby and a great big hotel. I mean, it really was spiff until you got to the individual rooms and the rooms themselves look like hospital rooms. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, that that's not. Yeah, I think there is, again, a decision to be made about how much we want to protect and, uh, you know, uh, bubble wrap people just because they're old and how much do we want to let them live their life in an an adventurous responsible and autonomous way Mm -hmm. that is again very uh, a complicated discussion i think because it's going to be very unique but when you it's only complicated though because it's outsiders trying to figure out what to do with these old (laughs) people rather than having the old people wise enough to figure out what to do for themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there That's are um, there are blue zones here in, in the world, right? Where this proportionate amount of people live over 100 years uh, within the community. And, and mm-hmm. their way of living includes them not retiring, but being basically a... Uh, helpful part of uh, a community so they're taking care of kids i would agree with that but in fact the the thought that i have had is less combine retirement communities with daycare yeah Yeah. that's 
definitely so that the old old people have a chance to being around young people little kids and playing with them and mm-hmm. the little kids get um let us say a wide variety of uh people to deal with right uh this has been known in psychology for a long long time in the sense that if you have one child a child that has a large family that he's got aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and all kinds of people let us say somewhere between 10 and 20 people and let's take that and then put an opposite example of that is that same child or another child in daycare where there are 20 children and one daycare keeper, or maybe two. Mm-hmm. Okay, which means in in that case of daycare, the children, three-year-olds, are teaching three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to wise old adults that don't have so much um, investment in that right. child. Yeah. And so having um, the combination of daycare and old folks' homes is marvelous i mean i have seen that when the kids come to sing to the old folks uh on christmas or whatever we don't have to talk the people into it that's one (laughs) place where the old folks really when there's kids around they want to come see the kids Mm -hmm. yeah and yet we separate them we intentionally separate them when in fact the children and the adults both would be much better off if we could mix those two Mhm. Yeah, but in, in the age of COVID, is that at all possible? Well, COVID just puts everything on hold, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everything is on 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 hold. But the human race has made it through mm-hmm. other epidemics. Mm-hmm. At least three black plagues bubonic mm-hmm. plagues we know of them in ancient history we know them oh, in the yeah. middle ages we've seen them in 1904 and 5 huge outbreaks of the flu we had the spanish flu epidemic in 1918 mm-hmm. we had the polio in the 1950s and rubella and all of that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. look at the fact that never mind that there are people who are resistant to the vaccines by and large, most people in the UK, in India, many people in the United States, the population of Thailand, and I would say many other places, are very grateful for the fact that this vaccine is going to save millions and millions of people that could have died the way that they did with the Spanish flu. That in fact, they say that in Europe, the bubonic plague wiped out two thirds of the people hmm yeah 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 okay yeah. we're not going to have that we can get over this COVID. there will mm-hmm. be those who are resistant to it but to be honest with you the people who have that kind of mentality humanity can do without them anyway <laughs> humanity is taking care of itself another way of looking at it is uh uh and i like this this is kind of humorous that planet earth has become infested with ants called humans, huge (laughs) ant hive. And that the planet Earth has decided to do something for her own benefit. Mm -hmm. 
And what could have done better than that? Because, I mean, the, the, the skies have been filled with the smoke of airplanes. The, uh, the city smog is there because of the cars. That there is global warming and heating because of all of this. Plus all of this anger and frustration and hatred that we have in the world. And here Mother Earth comes by with an idea. I've got an idea here. I've got a virus. Let's spread this virus around and we can solve many of the world's problems. <laughs> For instance, we got the uh, the airplanes out of the sky. Yeah. Given the chance for the sky to clean up. And not only that, but it did a really heavy duty job on the oil industry. <laughs> yeah. And here, the, and, and here the global warming people have wanted to do something about the oil industry and the clean skies. And Mother, did it, Mother Nature did it for them. <laughs> the and world is much better off in general because of COVID. I look at it that way. You can see the positive. There's some positive benefits to COVID. Because there's positive benefits, we can put up with the small numbers of negative benefits. I mean, one of them is, is that uh, I had to send a document to the United States, and it took four weeks to get there. Priority mail. Wow. Yeah. Why? Because there's so few flights leaving Thailand mm -hmm. that go, that eventually can connect to get uh, mail to the United States. Four weeks. Mm-hmm. That means that very few very few planes are in the sky. I imagine the dolphins out in the middle of the Pacific are wondering where all the airplanes went. <laughs> there used to be one every morning. Now that I don't see any. <laughs> what you said is very interesting because it's not different to survival of the fittest, right? So it's like all of these uh, crises that human population had experienced if we take a look at it from an evolutionary perspective, people who coped healthily with that situation kind of made it, right? Mm -hmm. And same with this virus. So people who are, you know, making the obvious choice, not making the obvious choice, like sanitizing hands and just not taking vaccines and all of that, we can think of that as <laughs> getting rid of people who are not maybe fit for survival. <laughs> you said it in a much more elegant way than I, almost making it acceptable. I'm just saying, hey, let all those fools just croak themselves to death. It's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Where's your compassion? <laughs> well, that's my compassion, but my compassion is for Mother Earth. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. That's another. Our compassion is in pointing out that they are doing something obviously ineffective. They're harming themselves. Yeah. That, okay, now this is something that um, is kind of hard for us to realize because normally when we see someone harming themselves, we feel bad. Mm -hmm. And so we want them to go and stop harming themselves so that we can feel good. Yeah. If we're to the position that we can let them harm themselves and I can still feel good while they're harming themselves, then that means that now I'm absolved of the responsibility of fixing them when they yeah. think that they're not broken because they're quite comfortable and happy out there harming themselves. Yeah. I mean, what kind of conversation are you going to have with someone who refuses to get a vaccine? <laughs> My 
And, and most of the time, what happens is when that conversations happen, both sides wind up miserable and hating yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that, why bother? Let, you know, let's get our vaccines, let's take care of ourselves, let's wear the mask, let's do what's needed because that's what wisdom presents us. And when we do everything that we need to do wisely, then we can feel safe and secure and comfortable knowing mm -hmm. that we've done what needed to be done. Yeah. Where those other people who are uh, refusing to take the virus, you know, deep down inside, there's those questions. They yeah. feel insecure. In fact, it's because they feel insecure that they won't take the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so they're left with no options other than feeling un insecure, unsafe, and uptight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's their only choice. They don't recognize that they have another choice. And that is they can refuse the vaccine. I can't think of why they would, but you could refuse the vaccine and still feel good. But most of them don't. Almost nobody does. When they're refusing yeah. the vaccine, it's because they're afraid of it. Yeah. And that gives rise to justification, rationalization, and all of those nasty defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Where wisdom would say, hey, it would be better. I mean, just the statistics. And we know the statistics are that more than 200 million people have had these vaccines and nobody's croaked. Mm -hmm. And yet, look at the number of people who are dying. They're, it's still at 1,500 people a day are dying in the United States, all of them, because wow. of lack of coronavirus uh, vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, at least the United States has some fairly good statistics simply because there's so many different places. I'm, I've heard that, that, for instance, the Florida government is trying to fix the figures, but oh. the hospitals don't uh, don't agree the hospital figures don't agree with the uh, government's fi uh, figures well, Florida has always been very special <laughs> well uh, Florida has always been in the south yeah and that explains a lot <laughs> it's yeah. almost like since the 1860s there's a certain section of the United States that prides itself on being stupid, foolish, <laughs> ignorant, and full of hate. Yeah. Oh my God. We're going to be canceled for speaking about Florida on YouTube. <laughs> I don't think there's any danger. I don't think that Florida has any police on YouTube. <laughs> 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 but like I said that the only thing that we can hold against Florida it's not really Florida it's the fact that that's just the situation they're in they're in the south there is a history of things happening there and that over time things will change but one of the things that we'll have to have that's changing in fact the only thing that really can change is people's attitude that's yeah. what needs to change and because you, said, because you said there has been a history, you know, um, so it can be really hard for them to change that, which means it's going to take more time, more repetitions. So I guess the rest of the world just have to be patient. 
and uh, you know help them instead of being happily patient because yeah. we can't fix them we only yeah. have a choice of being impatient and unhappy yeah Florida, yeah when in fact Florida is <laughs> going to do Florida's thing <laughs> exactly and it's not just Florida I guess it's like a place for every that's just other an icon the word Florida by the way is just an icon here <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that's so that's true <laughs> well anyway yeah. this has been a really wonderful conversation we come up at about two hours now and i really appreciate this we we've done a really yeah. nice job this the whole idea of uh starting with the idea of being in the airport yeah and dealing with it now we're calling that airport florida <laughs> <laughs> oh we can have this but it's of... nothing but the environment and we can't yeah. really control the environment we're in other than getting out of it that's one thing mm -hmm. is we can take a hike we can move around in that environment yeah. but the important point is is that we can handle any environment with mm -hmm. the right attitude yeah mm -hmm. the attitude that we have is the most important thing mm -hmm. and we can Actually. change that you have choice but we have to exercise that choice every time that we get into that airport or every time we think about Florida, we have to say, wait a minute, let's do this with wisdom. Let's not do this with bad feelings. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so whenever you're thinking about money, by the way, money is just another icon. It's the same thing. I mean, we can use the word Florida instead of money. We can use the word airport <laughs> rather than money. And it's always the same thing. It's our attitude about what it is mm -hmm. that we're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So you can think about money the way you want to. I want to look at it as a great big pile to play with. Whoopee! <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them doing that in movies sometimes. <laughs> what are you doing with all this money? Well, let's play with it. That's what we do with it. <laughs> That's only movies. I, I doubt in real life anybody feels comfortable with playing with money. <laughs> in case they lose some. Right. Well, that's yeah. because they think money is important. Yeah, <laughs> you can't play with it. That's too important. Reminds yeah. me of the little story about the little girl who really loves um, Barbie dolls, but the family has been buying her the cheap knockoffs. It costs about a dollar. <laughs> and one of the aunts decided that she's going to get her a real Barbie doll with all the accoutrements and, and spend $60 on this Barbie doll, gives it to the kid. And the first thing the kid does is undress the Barbie doll and throws the clothes <laughs> away, pulls the leg off of it. And, and the, the, the aunt saying, what are you doing? And the kid says, I'm playing with the kid. Thank, thank you for your Barbie doll. Because the kid doesn't see the difference between the knockoff $1 Barbie doll and the $60. That's the, the adult who is, who is putting it is important. This doll is important because it costs $60 and it's $60 is important money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we so all she think winds up feeling bad where the kid's having a ball with that doll. Yeah. <laughs> We often don't finish the sentence, right? Money is important for me or for you. It's not important in general, but it's only me or you. Yeah. yeah, the Democrats are always willing to spend somebody else's money. It's only the Republicans who keep saying, you can't do that, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> So that's how we work with money is stop seeing it as mine. Stop seeing it as I need it and start seeing it as a toy to play with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah.
I understand. <laughs> I'll have to probably revisit and practice a remember, little bit more. Remember, that's right. Revisit, okay. remember, repractice, yeah. think right. it over, yeah. recognize that, hey, this is a toy to play with. <laughs> but you're doing yeah. great. Yeah, you are doing. I mean, I am so pleased with oh, you, Amy. You. you have come so far. You, you're doing great. <laughs> oh, my well, God. Have you been smiling throughout this conversation today? And what does that tell you? Uh-huh. That's right. You have. I haven't seen you burst out in tears. Oh, poor me. Not one time in this talk. I, oh, me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's quite a change. <laughs> <laughs> about money! <laughs> yeah. And Debbie, yeah. you've been marvelous as, as uh, usual also. I really like that our, we have these conversations because I know that the little things that I'm giving you as tidbits, you can put that into, into, your, into your practice. Oh, yeah. I mean, the yeah, kind of absolutely. practice that you're dealing with other people. I can see that you're going to be a marvelous first quality psychologist <laughs> yeah good job okay, so i have to decide whether i'm going to have performance anxiety or not oh that's up to you you can have yeah. your performance anxiety right here right now and get it over with <laughs> yeah. amazing guys this is so enriching for me as well it's always lovely to talk to damarato but anna you have been brilliant as well so thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. Excellent. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah, it's been a great talk. Bye. -bye. Okay, bye bye. <laughs>